Welcome, creatures. Welcome to Featured Creatures. I'm the birthday boy, Garrett. Hey, are we- <laughs> Happy birthday, Garrett. I'm Alex. It's Alan's birthday. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm is. Garrett. It's Alan's birthday. It's Alan's birthday. Which is why we're doing this today. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I thought, see, for the longest time, I thought we were going to do Jeff for your birthday. It, it, it didn't work out. We were going to, but then someone got to it first. Okay. And the time period is too close, so probably next year. Yeah. It just, you know, I guess I'm disappointed because I'm going to wait a whole year to find out who slash why Jeff. Oh, Jeff will... Who well, slash he, why? Jeff, Jeff is dead. Yes. De- Jeff is double dead. That is what he said. Maybe quick. I mean, we could have just talked about the talking seal. No, because I don't. I, I this this mystery that is not a mystery resonates in my heart more. This one than the talking. Yeah, I also kind of connected to this one. Yeah, and I hated it. And then we can finally rectify because you said I did it multiple times. So there's one guy who wanged his head and had hallucinations, and it's this one. Also, um, not multiple people. This was not nearly as painful as um, gnomes, as <laughs> Steiner gnomes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this was so easy compared to Steiner gnomes. Every it's got to be like everything's basically downhill after that. Oh no, I'm I'm sure. No, there's got to be something worse. There's no way. I mean, like so much of that was just like nonsensical rambling strung together. No, it's all sensible. It was seven just... hours of a long droning speech. Like, Hello, I'm Ira Glass, and today we'll be talking to you about moon too gnomes. interesting. Too interesting. It, Your voice has too much character to it. <laughs> Oh, that is not a, a statement I'm used to hearing about me. It's anything compared to the lectures I re- listened I mean, to. I am frequently accused of being cold and robotic. <laughs> You're you, a Darrow. <laughs> whoa. All right, let's find out. So oh, we got a guest. Wait, is this the thing that I was asking about? The cryptid robot? It exists. So on today's featured creature, Alan picked for his birthday. And it's kind of like mine last year where... The creature is just a gateway drug to the person. Yes. Uh, and I will do full disclosure. I have not read Shaver's stories because I don't have pulp magazines. I like doing the research for this. I'm like, my grandma collects those still to this day. <laughs> there are probably. <laughs> I wonder if she has any that have one of his stories in it. Oh, man. Yeah. So first, let's get to the, the creature, the Daros, D-E-R-O-S. Darrow is er, derived from the words detrimental and robot. Not because they are mechanical, but because they are slaves to detrimental energy. I am so excited about all of this. (laughs) You have no idea. This is what I asked for. It's almost like it's my birthday. It's all our birthdays now. I'm Garrett, the birthday boy. Habitat. Underground. (laughs) Description. Humanoid in shape. The Darrow's have no fingernails, toenails, nipples, rectum, or navel. Their toothless mouth is full of a gummy, slimy substance. They have a long trunk-like nose, often described as, quote, a race of hideous, moronic, and evil creatures. Whoa. All right. Dwelling in underground tunnels, the Darrow are thought to be an extremely unpleasant and violent race of subterranean beings. The Darrows are believed to be descendants of a highly advanced extraterrestrial race that migrated to Earth many thousands of years ago, and are thought by some to be responsible for the legends of trolls and leprechauns. Whoa. The Darrows are believed to have called... That's, that's a statement you're going to hear a lot. The, <laughs> the Darrows, Darrows are, are believed. believed. <laughs> the Darrows are believed to have colonized both the surface and the interior of the Earth, 
And despite being the descendants of a high descendants of a highly advanced alien race, the Daros are believed to have deteriorated both physically and mentally. I right, once again, the Daros are believed to influence the behaviors of mankind by firing deleterious rays responsible for most of the war uh, deleterious ways towards the surface from their underground layers. These rays are thought to be responsible for most of the world's wars, violence suffered by and violence suffered by mankind. Well, okay, so you're telling me that these underground dwellers, they control, uh, you know, the the war propaganda, and they're, they're the cause. I, I like slow, slow on the stage you are. <laughs> Just like waiting for it. I don't know. This is sounding dangerously a lot like a number of other theories about large-nosed troll people causing problems in the world, Garrett. I like how you're directing at me as if this is my fault. I just... <laughs> Alan. Hey, 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 I'm just Garrett, the birthday boy. Uh, everything checks out. Mm, where did... Now I don't... Okay. The deleterious race responsible for violence. The Daros are at war with another race of subterranean aliens known as the... Taros. It, oh my god. The Daros and the Taros are both descendants of the same original alien race to colonize Earth, but the Taros attempt to help mankind and thwart the Daros in their attempt to destroy us. Well, that makes sense, right? Because the Taros, they they have navels and anuses and nipples, right? I didn't look much into them, but I know they're blind. It, <laughs> all right. The Daros are thought to harbor a strong dislike for the human race due to the fact that the Daros still believe that the Earth belongs to them. And that one day, and will again. Whoa. That explains the deleterious rays. Uh, I know it comes up later, but Taros stands, is, stands for integrated robot. Ah. Uh, yeah. Which should stand for okay, so DNA integrated cyber Enterprises dice. DNA integrated cybernetic enterprises. Robot. Yeah. So, it, like, so far, everything you've described about this thing whose name is a portmanteau of, of that includes the word robot, mm-hmm. uh, but you've only described, like, flesh elements of these uh, things. Did you not re- hear the first part? Not because they're mechanical, but because they are slaves to detrimental energy? I did not hear that first part. I yeah. heard the slaves part, but not the... And uh, the root word for robot means slave. Yeah, no, that checks out. Yeah. All right, well, checkmate. I just, uh, you know, I went from just sore and high to completely disappointed. <laughs> Well, don't you worry. Oh, I forgot to read the thing at the beginning. Read it now. Before there were little green Martians and tall blonde Venusians, there were Daros. Oh, that's a pretty good tagline. Did you come up with it? No. (laughs) I found it on one of the research pages. It's okay. You can cut that part out. Story. In the 1930s, a Pennsylvania man named Richard Sharp Shaver overheard them speaking through his welding equipment and the voices singularly unpleasant ones obsessed with torture and sexual perversion would not shut up there. Okay. Uh, Dick, your uh, buddy Mike over there. He's, uh, he's looking pretty good. They want to go over there and pound him. Huh? They weren't talking to him yet. He it, just heard the that. Way it was coincidental. <laughs> and he's talking to someone else. They named. just, they guess they just, they just, the first name that occurred to them, the first, the most violent and perverse name in all of English. Their incessant chatter drove Shaver to desperate acts and landed him in a mental hospital and prisons. While Shaver was serving time in a prison, a woman materialized and whisked him away to a cavern underneath the earth where she and her fellow Taros, uh, though badly outnumbered, battled the Daros hordes. 
So are the Taros? I'm sorry, I hate to interrupt and like jump away. No, no, that's the end of that the info section. Oh, perfectly timed. The story section. Uh, Are they also slime mouthed and trunk nosed? No, no, uh, they're good. Okay, so naturally that means they're beautiful, uniquely beautiful. I mean, he fucked one of them. Oh, I don't know if that's in this research because I listened to some stuff. uh, I couldn't, but I seen their research book, like one of his biographies has no info about it online. So the only way to get the info from it is to, to find and read find it. the book and read it because Christ. I could not find anything about the green bow she had on her bra that she left on his pillow when she left Whoa. or the graphic sex scene he described with her and her childlike body. Whoa. Okay. All right. That's uh yeah. So it, I mean, moving on slightly, does that mean there's like a subterranean alien humanoid hybrid? I mean, I don't think so. I think the Darrow are pretty asexual. They just like sexual torture. And I don't think the tarot, aside from like probably having Shaver, I don't think they do that. Yeah. It, okay. But so Shaver's just, just the chosen one. So, like, also, though, like, no, no, presumably no anus, but no, semi functioning. There is no vagina. anus on the Darrow's. There is no rectum on the Darrow's. At least as far as we Which know. means the Taros might have one. But according to Ray Palmer, well, the Adam. <laughs> No, but the character the Adam is named after him. Jesus Christ. He is one of the like pioneering publisher of science he fiction. He published the first science fiction like anthology magazine. I okay. Yeah. Wow. He all was right. A um four f- how tall? He was 4 feet tall cuz when he was a child he got into a car so uh, he, he is the Adam by, is what you're he saying. Got <laughs> hit by a truck and was a 4 foot tall monster boy. <laughs> He described himself as a monster, what, yeah. but he got a kind of hot wife. So nice. You see, he had that winning personality and he was like, you know what? Look, dude, but then publishing, publishing Richard Shaver's stuff kind of made him a pariah in the sci-fi community. <laughs> That's so weird yeah. because I would think they'd be into it. No, no. I, if I remember a young Harlan Ellison starts a campaign to shut him down. And um, okay, I love that. All right. That's, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah. But Everyone. Why? I mean, oh, these guys are going to get, gonna get, gonna about, get to it. This is banging things with child bodies. We're going to get to this. That's not why, you know, that's not what Ellison takes issue with. See, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the only thing that I can find. Okay. Just get to it. Get, get to so the thing. Now we this. move away from the Daros because that's all the information online about the Daros. <laughs> so now it's just the backstory of feuding between sci-fi. No, no. Authors, now so. we get into the life story of Richard Sharp Shaver. Oh my God. Okay. Born in Berwick. Pennsylvania in 1907 Shaver studied art and joined the communist John Reed club as a young man in 1933. He married fellow art student, Sophie Gurevich and had a daughter the same year during the depression. Shaver found work as a welder in an automobile factory. He became paranoid, believing that people were following him and was distraught by (laughs) was distraught by the death of his brother in February, 1934. The following August, his wife admitted him to, oh, that is, Yplisanti State Hospital. yeah. Okay. Decades later, Shaver claimed that his stay at the hospital was merely due to shock from a case of heat stroke at work, and that he was only there for two weeks. Although his biographer, Jim Probst, found evidence that Shaver spent a longer time at at hospital. Three weeks. The exact length of his stay is unknown. Sophie Shaver subsequently died... And her parents took custody of the couple's daughter. Reportedly, the girl's grandparents told her that her father was dead as well. 
Shaver remarried twice, his second wife leaving him after finding papers indicating that he had been a mental patient. So that he didn't get the, like, you don't have donkey brains. He does not get the, he got the opposite. (laughs) The confirmed donkey brains. So that's his life story. That's actually kind of tragic. But that's not the way it happened. Oh, no. Okay, so in 1943, Shaver sent a letter outlining his linguistic theory, Mantong, and citing it as a definite proof of the Atlantean legend to another publication. I did our names in Mantong, and I think I left them in the other room. Yeah, I'll look for them. So uh, Mantong is a weird, it's the origin of all language, he says. Uh, Okay. Each letter means something. Okay. And uh, I did our names. Okay. So in Mantong, I'll go with Alan first. Yeah. He is the birthday Alan boy. is uh, animal, life, animal, child. That's me, the animal child. All right. So you pretty much, you have to like kind of figure out what that means. Well, I mean, it seems like mostly like it's a pretty simple English cipher. I mean, like what the word together, those words mean. I'm the animal child. I'm wild. And he's a life-filled animal child. Alan... Or Alex's animal life energy will. Uh, none of those things are accurate. I know. <laughs> you got the will. Except maybe the animal part. That part's accurate. The will, the life energy, none of that. So I think mine is pretty fucking spot on. Mine yeah, is mine is this show. <laughs> mine is generate animal horror, horror energy integration, integration. Wow. Shaver is on to something. <laughs> Generate horror. Checks out. Generate animal horror, horror, energy integration, integration. Two horrors, and I got none. (laughs) It's because that's R is horror. I got Uh, the rest of the alphabet for you at home. A, animal. B, to B. Yeah, it's just B is B, and C is C, but C is C-E-E, or S-E-E-C. I have a a link to this. I'm going to post it on our Discord server. So you can figure out your... Man Tong. Okay, so I thought this was going to be like just cryptographic insanity and like he might have gotten lucky and coincidentally. It's like, I can't even remember what the old writing system is, but it's like does, does he that, figured out the Indus Valley script or something coincidentally and instead it's just a bad cipher. It makes me upset. Yeah, no, it's just words mean things or letters mean things. Uh, Sometimes they're syllables. Uh, like mm. there's a list of what like individual words mean as an example and bad is like B- Animal uh, detrimental. <laughs> Which again, checks out. Ray Palmer's Pulp Periodical Amazing Stories. And Palmer duly published Shaver's findings in the December 1943 issue of his magazine. The following year, Shaver sent another piece of his writing to Palmer. A 10,000 word article called A Warning for Man. In 1945, this eventually saw print in the form of a, th- a 31,000 word story it had apparently been rewritten by Amazing Story staff called I Remember Lemuria. I wish I could. Maybe that's it, right? Is it you have to be like an insane person to be able to write just a 10,000 word article about something that you're just passionate about personally? Yeah. That's well, just passion is being insane. I just, I couldn't, I guess it checks out. This was a big hit with readers. Reportedly, fan mail went from around 50 letters a month to 2,500. Holy moly. Material on the Shaver Mysteries as it came to be known, continued to run in amazing stories throughout the following years. 
The stories went under such catchy titles as Invasion of the Microman, Witch of Ether 18, Zigor Mephisto's Collection of Mentalia, and Of Gods and Goats. Whoa, no thank you on that one, bud. The June, ni- good. <laughs> the June 1947 edition of Amazing Stories was billed as the, quote, All Schaefer Mystery Issue. So they just like they struck gold with this guy. Oh, yeah. But it like the, uh, these are stories written by him or these are like just All stories ghost written? All written by him. Whoa, okay. But the first one was like reworked by the staff. The second one was reworked. Oh, the second one was reworked. To make it a little more interesting. I see. And dis- and then the whole, the, the uh, all Schaefer mystery issue was described as the whole affair as, quote, the most sensational true story ever told. Yeah. Because according to Schaefer, while working as a welder, he heard voices that were being projected into his head through his welding equi- equipment. He claimed that the voices originated from an underground civilization and that in a past life as a fellow named Mutan Mion, he himself lived in these underground in these underground cities. The inhabitants of these caves, although human, originated in another solar system. Once an advanced civilization, they had since degenerated. Shaver called these beings Darrow. Not all of the inhabitants of the subterranean cities were corrupt. However, the underground is also home to the Tarot, or integrative robots, who defend humanity from the Darrow. The voices he heard were just the beginning. Shaver claimed to have been jailed for vagrancy, only to be released under mysterious circumstances and taken to meet benevolent subterraneans. Here's a quote from him. I like that these subterranean alien people, who I'm just in, like envisioning completely naked for some reason. By no, the way. no, no, she wore a bra. Well, not her specifically. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just thinking about these slime mouth trunk men just wandering around. Oh, they're definitely just 100% they're naked. Gray and nude. Yeah, just yeah, just tooling around in the dirt. But it's it, they have vagrancy laws in there. <laughs> no, no. He no, was arrested no, human. in human law. Oh, okay. All and right. then one I of just, them got him. Okay. Or see, one of the good ones rescued him from human prison. From regular human prison. Yeah. But presumably clothed. Or at least bra. She had a bra. <laughs> All right. Here's a quote from him about... What happened is a girl comes leading the turnkey who acts like he is walking in his sleep. He turns the key and lets me go. She leads us both down the hall to the other door, who he again <laughs> oh opens, and we both walked out. <laughs> I love this man so much. I, I followed her with somewhat mixed and numb sensations for about a mile in the night outside of the town. Then we walked into a hill. A section of the hill closed down behind us. All the time I knew she was just a sort of transparent projection. But you had to get close to see the difference from real. And so, I was in. I spent a day or two talking to them, and they filled me in on the whole complex situation. No. That's it. I don't know. <laughs> no, no. That. Just, no, that's just the beginning. Yeah. I was hoping for anything, but... I just I, no, I, was I, I thought you were going to jump in with the sound clip. I got no sound clips. I've never had sound clips. There's never been one sound clip played on this podcast. You're right. I imagine that all the mixer is talking to me. It was a shared group hallucination. No, yeah, I don't want to share it. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll own my insanity. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, I hate to tell you this, but it was shared. All right. I guess that's what I get for joining the communist society when I was in Pittsburgh in high school. Yep. Shaver outlined the origin of the Darrows as follows. Here's more quotes from him. Long ago, it happened that certain underground cities were abandoned, and into these cities stole many wild mortals. 
Okay. Does that mean? Uh, no. Shaber the probably met. Wild mortals to live. Due to their improper handling of the life force and ray apparatus in the abandoned cities, these apparati became harmful in effect. These ignorant people learned to play with these things, but not to renew them. So gradually they were mentally impregnated with the persistently disintegrative particles. These wild people living in the same room with degenerating force generators in time became Darrow. Which in short, which is short for detrimental energy robot. Gotta say that every time. Okay, wait, hold on. I'm like, I hate, I, I feel like I'm, I'm just causing all kinds of problems in this episode. No, this is your job. So it like, they, they are aliens or they're humans that escaped into the alien cities okay. and because the alien technology got stupid. Ain't, humans aren't from earth. You gotta oh, wrap okay. your mind around oh, okay. that basic that's, that's, the, that's the starting point. So <laughs> yes. all the humans on the surface are also descended from aliens. Yes. Okay. And so these guys, the undergrounders with their truffle noses. They, they don't have their, those yet. Okay, but they're going to get them this presumably is, this, from the dumb machine. Thing. Yes. Okay. All right. Are these the same humans then that had to, they had to go back in time because they failed the test? <laughs> no, that's a whole is different these, dumb theory. It, okay. All right. When this process has gone on long enough, a race of Darrow is produced whose every thought, every, every thought movement is concluded with the decision to kill. Shaver stated that the Darrow could interfere with the surface world using mind control devices and death rays. Some could even walk on the surface world disguised as humans, although others were too deformed to pass muster. Wow. And now it seems like I don't have that much left, but now I go to my phone. So these things, it uh, while you're getting your phone ready, do you feel like these might have been some of the inspiration for the Daleks? I mean, those are like obviously actual robots with like a like a thing inside of it, but like I mean they're. Not robots, they're power armor with a thing inside. Well, of them. yeah, but they're like a like a stupid hate machine, you know, made to like be the sort of the master race. But they're the same kind of thing. I don't know. I just I see a lot of overlap. It feels to me like the the old Doctor Who writers might have been like, oh yeah, well, like we could part do of that. The problem with Shaver is he was huge to the rage of everyone else. Yeah, is that what it is? That his stories are just stupid, and that like the common folk liked them. So he's like he's like the original George Lucas, right? Well, Where, like I'll, the story's I'll, pretty silly, but like it's crafted well enough that, that we get regular to people people's like yeah. reactions. <laughs> you see, you have reviews in there. I, I'm guessing none of them are going to be. Ironically, one day this will be taught in schools. I mean, it well, really should be. This was, that's what I'm saying. This, like, this was taught in school for me. This actually is like vaguely historically important. So okay, okay. So I was trying. I was going to try to paraphrase this to make it shorter, but it is all too important. Okay. So I just have to read it from the rationalwiki.org. I remember Lemuria. You gonna read the whole story? It, I don't think this is the whole story. It's just like it's the like a synopsis yes. slash excerpts. Yes. Okay. I remember Lemuria takes the form of a fairly unremarkable pulp space opera that starts off on Earth several millennia ago, when the planet was known variously as Mu, Pan, and Lemuria. The underground cities of Mu are home to two races called the Atlans and the Titans. Uh, Titans are capable of growing to enormous proportions while they're in, uh, they were the giants in Earth mentioned in Genesis. Okay, I think that's I think that was ripped off in Wildcats. Along with an array of hybrids between these groups and alien races dubbed Veriforms. These ma- the main character is Shaver's proposed or supposed path self, Mutan Mion. 
an inhabitant of the underground Lemurian city Sub-Atlan, so-called because it's located beneath Atlantis, or Surface Atlan. Ah, I see. Benmark, the sub-bubble continent. Mutan reluctantly abandons his career as a painter to study medicine and ends up learning of a plan to evacuate the Atlants from Earth, thereby saving them from harmful effects of the sun's or the Earth's sun, uh, which would otherwise lower their lifespan by centuries. The sun was causing them to age, so they're yeah, like, no, fuck out. this. It's like they knew, somehow. Ba-ba-ba. Unfortunately, their plan was opposed by some groups of Atlants, and so it must be kept secret you know, to avoid. We like the sun. It makes us all leathery. <laughs> They, they really like going to Florida. <laughs> They're lizard people. <laughs> just, getting all, just getting all bronzed up. I got to rub bronzer on myself. And so it must be kept secret to avoid sabotage. Ah. Mutan and his love, his love interest, Ari, a purple woman with hooves and a tail, narrowly avoided a ray gun, a ray gun killing spree performed by a group <laughs> of evil Lemurians. <laughs> he was going out with like an, a purple andalite. She didn't have, it's more like a satyr. All right. I guess it didn't say she had had four legs. Okay. All right. It's a half Andalite, a satyr. Yeah. Uh, Raygun killing spree performed by a group uh, who wanted to hijack the escape so that they could have the new sun to themselves. (laughs) Such a view could only result. Fuck. Here's a quote. Such a view could only be the result of detrimental air. I mean, this, this story sounds friggin' awesome so far. I'm just throwing that out there. Like I can, I can see why this was a hit and why it would, why it would make Harland Ellison mad. Calling Monster Island. Calling Monster Island. All right. There was a small technical hiccup, but I think we're on we're back to, you know, the story. Mutan and his comrades escaped the attacking Darrow and flee into space, arriving on the planet Kuanto. Once they bring news of the Darrow to the Nortian or Norti- Nortans, who inhabit, inhabit the planet. Quanto is also evacuated, and Mutan travels to Nor, the planet where the Nortans originated. There, the Nortan priestess Vanu gives him the mission to return to Earth and leave behind a message, parentheses, using, quote, <laughs> this quote's in parentheses, imperishable plates of Telonian, uh, our eternal metal. Preserving Lemurian science for the civilization's degenerate, de- <laughs> degenerate descendants who have left the underground cities will become short-lived midgets under the harmful effects of the Earth's sun. So it's like, hey, you guys are going to get real stupid and dangerous, so here's all of our super science. Yeah. All right, that checks out. Mutan arrives back on Earth and infiltrates a Lemurian control room. which he- He's like three feet taller than they are. <laughs> well, I guess maybe not yet. Maybe, maybe not yet. Maybe he's not a giant. Just like, hello, my my fellow tarots. Well, no, take there, these eternal plates. He does believe that everything was bigger, and that he believes that Devil's Rock was a tree that got petrified. Yeah, dude, that'd be awesome. Which he finds to have been overrun by abandoned arrow. All one word, abandoned arrow, uh, described as hideous dwarves and descended from the from fugitives who had broke into. Abandoned underground cities and used defective pleasure simulators, resulting in deformed offspring. It turns out they were that nearly a century ago, the entire government was taken over by these abandoned arrow who are working for an exile Lemurian elder named Zate. Wow. Okay, no, this is pretty good. After a climatic battle, Mutan and the Nortans managed to defeat Zate and his abandoned arrow using a sleeping ray. <laughs> 
Zayt was a, th- a quote. Zayt was a three hundred footer, and he was not only big but amazingly fat from his soft Blood. life in his hideout. Oh says Mutan. God. How but okay? How big <laughs> relative to this three hundred? Like, is he dealing with Pulpo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. roll over and turn into a bed now all i can think about when i think of a darrow is the kid with the money stand <laughs> oh god all the darrow are that boy oh <laughs> oh my goodness uh upon finding the comatose supervillain, it was going uh he's a 300 footer soft fat from the soft life yeah it was going to be a real job to get him to the surface alive. It would not be surprising if the soldiers found it necessary to take him apart and reassemble him later on. What in the world? With the villains routed, the Atlans set off for another planet, catchily dubbed Numu, leaving Earth to the wild men in the culture forests. The culture forests. Yeah. That sounds like a, like a, like a Gore Vidal novel the wild men in the in the culture forests the story has been reprinted in a few books alongside the return of the satanum sath Anna's, a sequel that originally ran in november 1947 issue of amazing this time co-credited by bob mckenna this story insults our old pal satan into the shaver cosmology as mutan and ari Travel back to Earth, take on a Darrow named Sathanas, ruler of the planet Satana, <laughs> the inhabitants of which were referred, referred to as Satanists. Ah, okay. Sathanas is described as a hybrid of a goat-legged alien race, horned titans, and a group of humans called angels. Apparently, Shaver and co. were trying to draw a connection between the angels of Judeo-Christian belief and the Germanic tribe of angels. Uh... Sathanus is identified as an archangel. Not angel. Angel. All right. Like E-N-G-L-E. A-N-G-L-E. Oh, all right. Fine. The story also throws Norse mythology into the mix, with the heroes meeting Odin, described by Mutan as having a, quote, a ruby Santa, a ruby red Santa Claus face. Wow. And the rest. Uh, although a footnote explains that these are not the original Aesir, but merely people named in their honor. Oh, shit. Are you telling me this book has an author's note? (laughs) The story also briefly goes into some detail about the Atalans' first arrival on Earth, after which they founded the city of Atlansgar and founded and fought Cronus, the Midgar serpent, and the mad early titans. All right. Mutane's adventures were also recounted in Invasion of the Micromen! You know, I mean, if there's like 300 foot people, I guess it makes sense they'd basically be Greek gods and titans. The land of Kui, and what appears to be, uh, appears to have been the last Shaver mystery story to run in Amazing, we dance for the Dom. Like D-O-M. Yeah. As in short for dominatrix. Detrimental whatever O and M stand for. Okay. Detrimental orgasm machine. God damn it, you're right. Shaver's contributions to the magazine prompted some bizarre entries in the letters column. <laughs> oh, no. January 1947, an issue of Amazing published a letter by one Margaret Rogers. Rogers claimed that while suffering from a heroin addiction in Mexico City in 1930, she was taken into a cave through a concealed entrance by her friend, Doc Kelmer. 
Inside, Rogers was taken into the care of a race of 10-foot-tall cave dwellers named Nephli. You know, I got to wonder if some of these people are like crazy people or they're like, oh, I like this story. Here's like my idea for a story. Right. What, what is a spec like, script just, and what I'll is. I'll just write it like yeah. it's like it's this happened to me. And it's just like kind of like a neat idea. She found 10 feet tall. Nephli. The Nephli were advanced people who were able to cure Rogers drug addiction using their technology. They also had vehicles powered by thought and shrinking machines, which allowed them to pass as humans and walk on the surface world. The magazine also received a lot of backlash saying that w- that that the shaver stories endangered the sanity of their readers. <laughs> um, they they tried to contact like governors to get it to like make it so they can't publish them. Really? And this was led up by other sci-fi authors. Why? Because they were claiming the shaver mysteries were true stories. Hey, well, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, we don't do that today. You know, well, they also they, didn't like, like that. He was so fantastical. And he, there was the, the whole nuts um, and bolts, harder sci-fi your thing. Your mic is pointed away from you. Yeah, I didn't notice how far this was. Yeah. But yeah, sci-fi was starting to get more technical, and they didn't like his whole syncretic hodgepodge of everything. Because he, okay, so he's like like a, like a soft sci-fi fantasy. He's also just, you know, and they, he doesn't think he's sci-fi. He's also, really, yeah. He, he's like early George Lucas. No, to him, this is all real. This all well, happened. I mean, like, yeah. He, like I said, he's early George Lucas. He's like an, <laughs> he's like Elrond. Yeah. Elrond Hubbard. The great. <laughs> Elrond, <laughs> Elrond half, half Elvin. The other I, Elrond. You, you were, it's La- funny you say Lafayette, that. Lafayette, Ron Hubbard. Lafayette. It's funny as you say this though, because that's what I was thinking. It was like, you know, we got, we got a Battlefield Earth movie. Like, why don't we have this as a movie? We're this seems ready. This seems like a much better movie than <laughs> I, Battlefield Earth. Yeah, I remember Lemuria seems awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm I'm digging like some of it's pretty silly, like the back and forth the earth leaving plates for your degenerate race of humans. But like everything else about it, like is seems visually pretty interesting. Yeah. So there was a radio call in show that Ray Palmer was on. Uh-huh. I actually listened to this hour long interview. Really? Yeah. It's it's still very weird to me that a four foot tall version of the atom exists in real life. He is a nightmare human <laughs> visually. Well, the big logic <laughs> for the boom of sci-fi is like basically all the people with physical deformities and like children and mentally ill couldn't serve in World War II. Yeah, yeah. and that's why it just flourished. And that's that why you have characters out. like Palmer being able to take advantage of the situation and Shaver. Well, like, Shaver should not be on the front lines. Ever. And, and I mean that that coupled with like the rise of the teenager is like a market. You, yeah, it's like it's like the perfect storm. Everything kind of led together, and these like super niche things that it kind of always existed came to the forefront, exploded. Yeah. One listener brought up accusations that Shaver's claims were lifted from Edward Bulwer's uh, Edward oh, Bulwer Lytton's yep. 1871 novel, Vril, The Power of the Coming Race. Yeah. Palmer responded by suggesting that Bulwer. Also visited the Darrow Caves. <laughs> See, and this is where Palmer right. is the genius. And it checks out. <laughs> like, oh yeah, it all ties out. Eventually, Palmer left Amazing Stories or Amazing and started promoting the Shaver Mysteries elsewhere. In nineteen eighty or forty-eight, he published a book reusing the title "I Remember Maria" along with "Fate," the uh, the first of his several magazines dealing with UFOlogy and the he paranormal. Published the first Fate. Yeah. All right. No, he's he's the titan of sci-fi. Uh, the two men went on to co-write a book title entitled The Secret World. This was published in 1975, the year in which Richard Shaver and Ray Palmer both died. 
Whoa. So it was like their last work. Yep. The following, following the death of its two main proponents, the Shaver mystery found a life support system of sorts in the hollow earth theory. Although Shaver dismissed the theory when alive, his beliefs obviously overlapped with those of hollow earthers who ended up more or less absorbing the Shaver pantheon of Darrow and Tarot today. The Shaver mystery is generally treated as a subset of hollow earth beliefs. I see. He never once said hollow earth. He said cave systems. Yeah. 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 No, like that checks out like a thing that you could go to in friggin' Carlsbad. Yeah. Yeah. Pop culture. So it, I mean, I'm guessing like, you know, everywhere I couldn't find a lot of what the Darrow themselves inspired. Yeah. Except for the Darrow in D and D are a tip of the hat to this fictional race. They're, uh, they're, uh, know how the drow are dark elves. Yeah. Dark dwarves. Oh, it checks out. Yep. The D&D offshoot Pathfinder ties the Darrow more strongly to their roots in Shaver's writings, combining with elements of gray aliens, such as alien abduction. Okay. And that is everything I got on the Darrow and Shaver. Um, I got a tiny bit more. Good. One thing that I heard in uh, what are some of the audio I listened to, but I couldn't find physical or online physical yeah. uh, materials for was um, he says his brother was killed by the Darrow. <laughs> the one that died in the 30s. Yeah, in 40s, early 40s. Oh, okay. man. Or 30s? Yeah. I thought, I thought it was like 33, 34. Wherever his brother died, the Darrow did it. I see. All right. No, that checks out. What you got, Alan? Yeah. T- later, towards the end of his wife, I forget where he moved out because I'm a bad researcher today. Uh, his wife found these rocks. Like, oh, look, these broken rocks look like shapes. The guy, no, there's no such thing. There's no shapes in there. Oh, the Atlantean and the Lemurian yep. uh, hieroglyphics. The rock fogo. Yeah. <laughs> so towards the end, he started just cracking rocks open and just paradoling out and finding faces in these. You guys can check these out. But yeah, he did a bunch of them. And uh, he started taking photos of these rock fogos. And, uh, yeah, this became a big obsession towards the end of his life. Unlike, I think just wherever his farm was, he's had a bunch of rocks. So, so he just, he just like cracked these things open and started painting faces. Oh, they were talking him too. So it never ended. No, he wasn't published. He was always being contacted. Oh, he also married the, the Lemurian girl that got him out of prison. Okay. That's in the book where he describes the graphic sex he had with her. (laughs) Oh, all right. Yeah, it's just kind of. I mean, I but so but he knew she was like a force ghost, and he was like she was a force ghost when she like got him out of prison, and then she led him to the underground world with the terror. Um, the the, here's how he got the information for um his past life in Lemuria. Uh, they have a machine, Assassin's Creed machine. Okay, (laughs) they have an Assassin's Creed machine where you go back in time through your memories. Yes. Okay. And he was he did that so much and lived through so many lives that he eventually knew more than the Taros themselves. Pop culture, Assassin's Creed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can add that because that's definitely the same thing. Uh, it's funny how that that's become the the Deus Ex Machina. So, like, I don't. I mean, some of these are pretty cool. But yeah. Like, is it alleging that he found these? No, he, he cracks them open. They cracked over the rocks, and then he's like, "Oh, here's some pictures." But that's what I'm saying. He's like, oh, I cracked this open and this was inside it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like obviously just like painted. Oh, no, no. He paints on it. He paints what's like, already there. He's making yeah. it visible for us. Oh, plebs. OK. Yeah. OK. All right. So it's not it, it's a stupid hoax, but it's not like. No, we're the stupid one. Yeah. Oh, dude, there's like some more of these like the like trading cards back here. Yeah. The sun is making us old and dumb. Come on. 
Well, I mean, some of us makes us stronger. No, no, that that's the dumb talking. Uh, <laughs> dude, who's this guy in the back of the book? Dick Toronto. I don't know. That is a great name. I mean, it's, it's I think Richard he was Toronto, the, but the like, big, still, uh, I mean, like it is. A, it's one of the main biographers, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dick Toronto. That's, that's everything I got. <laughs> on, Patent pending. <laughs> it's everything I got on him. Yeah, there's probably more. I'm not remembering. I really. <laughs> I know we just did this episode, but I really want last podcast and left to do an episode on him because they plan their episodes out like years in advance. Yeah. So they have months and months that they can dedicate to research on a pro on a topic and they have research assistants. I did. I no lie, Alan. Cause this I morning you I did this this morning. I did it did this it morning. morning. <laughs> and I haven't researched the HACEP archive. I listened in about to four years. Six six like hour long interviews and did all of this since 3 a.m. Speaking of also, I have my shirt. Visit the HACEP archives. We have all of these books. Bring your rock Fogo. That leads us right into plug recommendations. Yeah. Oh no, I gotta go last. I don't remember what I was gonna plug. Um, I was gonna plug something, but I gotta go last. Have I done anything? Have I experienced life in the past week? No. You had a birthday. I had a birthday, but I can't plug anything from that. I'm gonna plug that fucking cake I had. There was a cake. Yeah, I still have from, a piece of it. What was it called? It was called Nothing Bunt. It's a local cake shop. Oh, yeah, that is the cake was so delicious. It was so you can't call this cake moist. This cake was what did I say? Straight liquid. What did I call this cake? It was the opposite. It was very dry. No, it was really. It, it was a warm dry. So no, no, no. It well, it was beyond moist slimy no like a a darrow it was super (laughs) dense (laughs) on my plate when i shook it it are you describing a good cake or a bad cake a good cake (laughs) okay it was so dense and delicious it was like tres leches where it's like the no like the point of the cake is for it to be a liquid it wasn't a liquid it was like jello it was it was gelatinous but it was still bread so good it was viscous (laughs) There we go. It was a, no. It was still a it solid was bread pudding, just pressed into the form. It was of a just a hyper dense cake. Uh, it was delicious. It was from a place called Nothing Bunt Cake out here in San Cruda, California. I'm done. I plugged a cake restaurant that no one else, maybe like four of our listeners, can order from. Ah, oh, you can just order in advance. They'll ship it, right? Is that what we do in the quarantine times? You just cryogenically freeze it and wait for later. <laughs> What's your plug, Alan? Uh, I'm going to plug. I'm going to rewatch these documentaries soon for an essay. Uh, Jarvis Cocker, the front Jarvis of Pulp and other stuff, uh, had this great BBC documentary called Journeys to the Outside. It's a three-part series on outsider artists, primarily the, the ones that build homes. And uh, it, it's a great one. I really recommend it. It's online. My favorite one's the Tower of the Apocalypse. This uh, former quarry builder built this whole, whole a giant castle, just a castle tower, and it explains the, the apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world. And he gets very mad if you say that. But uh, there, there's also an underground cave thing where like these uh, dinosaurs are tearing people open. And he's explaining the, the history of man as brutality, and he wants to end that. The apocalypse means like a rebirth of goodness, if I remember. All right, interesting. Uh, since I've been meaning to do this and I haven't done it yet, I'm plugging Sack Squatch. Yeah. I'm finally doing this. It's just, it's a, a Sasquatch in the forest playing saxophone. Yes. Wow. It's, 
usually pretty good. Usually it's pretty short form, but there are a couple that he's done that are like the like full song. So I'm gonna post the Baker Street one as your plug. <laughs> good, you should you should post that one for sure. Um, but yes, that is what I'm plugging. Sack Squatch. <laughs> Man, the merch on Sack Squatch store is really cool. I haven't checked any of it out. It, uh, this is kind of one of those things that it's like it, it seems like a no brainer. Yeah. Like why didn't somebody do this ten years ago? So I'm really excited for next week's episode that's not a birthday episode yes um it's another classic not it's a good old good old cryptid not a mythological monster not a folklore thing it's a good old classic crypto well that's good yeah finally getting back to our roots so our namesake michigan no we're featured creatures well we talk all about right. all creatures. All wait, right, wait, no, we, you know, we, we didn't have, make the mistake of naming ourselves something very hyper specific. Wait, we have features. We we have a budget for features. <laughs> Instant. I brought this value. feature from home. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you can um, give us an email, futurecreaturepod@gmail.com. Hit us on Twitter at feacre f e a c r e. Check out our dis our Patreon. It's fun. It's fun to give us money. (laughs) It's a a fun place to be. And uh, remember, all you need to do to be a cryptozoologist is to say you're a cryptozoologist.